But as we embrace Resurrection Sunday, there are some who come to Easter with a more sober awareness of the struggles they've endured this year, the heartache they've experienced, and perhaps even the shortcomings that they've pursued in running from God's plan, maybe not to His plan. And this morning, if you're in this place or you're tuning in with us online, regardless of where you find yourself, the truth is God is still pursuing each and every one of us with His amazing, immeasurable, and unconditional love. The kind of love that can only come from a father, a perfect father. Our theme for Easter Sunday this this year, as we shared before, is homecoming. And it represents this journey each of us take in life as we navigate the the life of sin and, and selfishness that we're born into, the prioritization of our own dreams and desires and pursuits, and finally, the coming to the place of realizing that the best place to be in life is at home in God's perfect will. It's truly the best place we can be. Today we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus' death and resurrection and and the corresponding promises found in the story of the prodigal. And we'll take some time to embrace the journey of what it means to go from criminal to prodigal to God's chosen. The story has been repeated in our lives over and over again as we often turn our back on God's plan and purpose for our lives only to come to the realization of our actions, and being filled with regret, we acknowledge our need to repent and return to find restoration in Him. Today I want to start our conversation in Luke's account of Jesus' death and resurrection found in Luke chapter 23. That's our text for today. If you'd like to flip there, if you have your Bibles, you can join me there. If you don't, you can jump on the Version Bible app and you can find under events, more events, Neighborhood Church, and you'll find all of our notes and scriptures there. But joining me in Luke 23, starting in verse 44, it says, It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. And in chapter 24, it says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he had told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men 
be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Would you pray with me? Father, we celebrate life today. We celebrate that resurrection has beaten death, that life has beaten sin, that you have restored us to right standing with you. Father, today we are grateful that you loved us so much that you'd be willing to send Jesus to take our place on the cross and in the grave. But that wasn't the end of the story. You raised your son from the dead so that we could have renewed life in you. And so we thank you for that and we celebrate it today. And we're grateful, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our families, what you're doing in our community. And we ask, Father God, that you would have your way in this service today. Speak to our hearts and change us, Lord, as we press into your plans and your purposes for our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we navigate the complexities of this life, there are realities that we must embrace at each and ed- every stage of our journey. Because the reality is life is not a straight line, typically, for any of us. We find ourselves kind of navigating the twists and turns of our decisions, of the things that are done to us, the heartache that comes to us, and sometimes life can be pretty difficult. And so we want to talk about this journey and what God has for us. And we're going to take this path of from criminal to prodigal to chosen. So let's talk about the criminal. This represents the journey from rebellion to realization. From rebellion to realization. See, every one of us faces those times in life where we've been guilty of hurting someone. Of fracturing a relationship, of just prioritizing our own needs and desires over what actually may be needed. And we find ourselves guilty. Guilty of of placing ourselves first. And we can easily get sucked into the trap of only seeing the world through the lens of what we can get out of it. What can I get? What What can I do? What can give me a leg up? And we find ourselves chasing after things that are temporary Take the, take the two criminals who were crucified on the right and the left of Jesus. The Bible refers to them as criminals. But in some translations of the Bible, you'll actually see them referred to as thieves or robbers. The reality remains, these were no petty thieves. These were not guys that went and, and uh, you know, stole a bag of, of Starbucks, you know, Starburst jelly beans that we all love, you know, those are the, the or your favorite Easter candy. That's that's not what these guys were. They were deemed worthy of the most public, humiliating, statement making form of execution that Rome had to offer. Crucifixion. They were being made an example of so that no one would ever dare steal from or challenge Rome. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32, we see this picture being being painted. It says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. 
and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, one criminal hurled insults that were focused only on himself. He says, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. His only focus was getting out of his situation, was being freed from the consequences of his actions. It was me focused. Save yourself and save us. Get us down from here. The other criminal, though, had moved to a place of realizing his need of a savior. Rebuking the first criminal, he said, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. We see a picture of one desiring relief from consequences and the other taking responsibility for his actions and embracing the consequences. See, these criminals had been in a place of rebelling against God and rebelling against Rome. And now they were paying the price. I can remember a time in high school when I made a decision that had me on the verge of being expelled. Good old Salem Academy. Didn't like some of the decisions that I made. And I was in a place where I was literally about to be shown the door. And I deserved it. And I can still remember the words of my dad ringing in my mind. He said, Dan, I love you and I'll stand with you no matter what. But you're going to have to face the consequences of your actions like a man. Wasn't exactly what I wanted to hear. It's like, you know, Dad, like maybe, Dan, you know, these guys are over, overreacting and this is crazy and I'll go talk to them. This is, you know, it's getting out of hand. No. And after facing the music and, and I, you know, served a number of suspensions and, and uh, rightfully so, I, f- I felt the need to to face the school, I had re- regret and grief for what I had done. And I ended up coming to a place of realizing that I had not only let the administration of our school down, but I had let our school as a whole down. I'd let my peers down. And I apologized. And similar to the story of the two thieves, in the story of the prodigal, we see an equal measure of rebellion and me-focus 
right? In Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says, Jesus is telling these parables. And it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share, my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not, all, not, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Oh, thank God that none of us have ever squandered anything in life, right? The younger son chose to walk away from his place in the family to travel down paths of his own choosing, which appeared to be more in keeping with his way of thinking. Not in the father's plan. His leaving home was an act of rebellion against his father's way and and ultimately against his father. He's like, Dad, I'm done. I'm done with, with all this family pressure you're putting on me. I'm done with having to be a part of, of all this stuff. I'm done working on the farm. I don't want to see another cow. I'm done. Give me what's mine, and I'll get out of here. See, the younger son chose to walk away from his place in the family. And rebellion is really, truly reserving for myself the right to make all final decisions. It's about me after all. I'll make my own decisions. It's my life and I'll choose what I feel is best for me. It's what I want. That's the idea when we step into a life of rebellion. It becomes center me focused. And I believe if we're honest, we would all admit that at one time or another we've experienced the disastrous results when we've sought to do our own thing. We've sat in the driver's seat of our lives and refused to follow God's roadmap because we've got a better plan. And I'm going to go after it. At some point, we have to come to a place of realizing the direction we're going in life is a destructive one. You know, we tend to be stubborn though, right? We're all a little bit stubborn. We, we think we've got it all figured out. It's interesting. I, I come across this reality occasionally when I'm umpiring baseball. It's one of my little side hobbies that I do. I get out on the baseball field and every once in a while somebody will impart their amazing knowledge and wisdom of the rule book to me, usually with a shouting voice. Sometimes it's coaches, sometimes it's all-knowing parents. And uh, they'll say stuff like, tie goes to the runner! No, no, no it doesn't. That's, it's not actually a rule anywhere in the rule book. And for umpires, tie always means an out. <laughs> because you know, when we call an out, it doesn't elongate the game. Why would we call a safe? It's a tie. So we get an out. Or this one. This is fun. Every once in a while, you know, a kid will be up to bat, and they'll be standing there, and they'll, they'll get hit by the pitch. Whack, right in the hand. You know, when you get hit by the pitch, you get to go down to first base. But once in a while, some wonderful, knowledgeable person, usually a coach, 
Ball comes in. Boom. All right, go down. Ah, the hands are part of the bat. I have an umpiring mentor. His name's Randy. Um, and he's, I've worked with him for a long time. And he actually was in, in pro ball all the way up in triple uh, back in the, the 70s. So he's seen everything, right? And he has, one, he has a one-liner for every situation. And so I was umpiring with him one day. And sure enough, you know, kid's standing there getting ready to bat, and the ball comes in and whack, hits him in the hand. Randy calls, time! Go down to first base. Coach yells from the dugout, oh, the hands are part of the bat! Randy looked at him, looked at, the, looked at the kid and said, son, can you drop the bat for me? Kid dropped the bat, and he goes, oh my gosh, it's a miracle. The hands are not part of the bat. But we all like to think we know everything. And we're pretty stubborn, too, to let everybody know that we know everything. And the reality is we don't. Even when we're wrong, sometimes we won't admit it. You see, the prodigal had to come to a place of understanding that he had made some mistakes in his journey. And Luke 15, 17 says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Famine had overtaken the land, and he found himself eating out of a pig's trough. But it's not until we become aware of exactly where we are and what we've done that we can begin the journey to restoration. Restoration of blessing and fellowship and relationship with a God who loves us. See, if we choose to ignore our awareness of sin, we will continue to follow sin down the path to death and destruction. Because that's the destination. Sin in your life and mine will destroy us. That's the devil's plan for our lives, is to steal, kill, and destroy us and everyone we love. And when we follow sin to its final destination, that's what we'll find. Destruction and death. But it's the realization of our sinfulness, our shortcomings, our areas where we've not measured up to what God desired that will naturally lead us to a brokenness of spirit and a repentant heart. A heart that's willing to say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your strength. But it's only when we come to that place of embracing our need of a Savior. So we understand what it means to come from this place of of being a criminal, of, of warring against God's desires and plans for our lives. But what does it mean to take on the role of prodigal? This represents the journey from regret to repentance. From regret to repentance. See, the reality is, in life, the journey to repentance begins with an honest acknowledgement of our failures and a sincere desire to change. We have to acknowledge where we've fallen short and desire to change the way we live, change the decisions that we make. 
It's only when we come to a place of real regret that we can begin to see our need of God's grace and forgiveness, really our need for Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you understand that? If, if sin hadn't entered the world, we, Jesus would never have needed to die. Do you understand? When sin entered the world through one man, there had to be a, a, a price that was paid to bring us back into right standing with God. And Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. See, the thief on the cross acknowledged that he was reaping what he had sown and he was receiving the consequences of his actions. In verse 41, he says, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. In the same way, the wayward son had great remorse for what his sin was doing to his life. Pastor Charles Finney, author, said, remorse for sin is introductory to genuine repentance. Remorse is that most horrible condition of the mind that can never be expelled permanently except by faith in the Lord Jesus. With this faith, there comes into the soul a blessed sense of peace and pardon. This expels remorse. Nothing else can. Under this remorse, we are so displeased with ourselves that we cannot help feeling that God is angry with us. Not with a malicious anger, but yet with such anger as crushes the spirit down. It, it is a sense of God's infinite displeasure against sin. See, God doesn't hate you. God isn't angry with you. God hates your sin. He hates the decisions that you make that, 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 that take you away from His plan and His purpose for your life and for mine. That's what needs to go. And there's, there's two types of sorrow when we talk about this sorrow that we experience as a result of our sin. One is the sorrow of the world. It's a feeling induced by the fear of getting caught or a regret for our actions. Right? We do something, it doesn't go quite right, we hurt somebody, and, and we regret it. Or we you know, put our hand in the cookie jar and you know, we pull out a few extra cookies and we get caught by mom and we get grounded for life again. That's the worldly kind of sin. And many people recognize the unpleasant consequences of their sin and are persuaded by their guilt. This results in a superficial sorrow that may lead to a temporary change of behavior, but not to a genuine turning to Christ for forgiveness. Godly sorrow, on the other hand, is accompanied by conviction of sin done by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's God who brings the conviction and, and, and helps us to feel that inner struggle when we're not making decisions that are in line with His, His purpose. This stems from the realization of our offending a holy God. God is perfect, we are not. And when we turn our back on His plan, our hearts are in turmoil because we're running from what He wants for us. And it leads to genuine repentance. It's been said there's a radical distinction between natural regret and God-given repentance. 
The flesh can feel remorse acknowledging its evil deeds and be ashamed of itself. However, this sort of disgust with past actions can be quickly shrugged off. And the individual can soon go back to his old wicked ways. See, if we're just trying to change behavior, eventually we're going to come back to it. When it doesn't hurt anymore, when it's not inconvenient, when it's not regretful, we'll just come back to that way of living and disregard the things that we should be pursuing. Real repentance is the realization it's not just enough to be sorry for your sin. You must be sorry enough to quit sinning. See, the prodigal son comes to this realization and desires to to humble himself even to the point where he's willing to surrender his sonship. You see this? Luke 15, 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He's, he's, he's ready and willing to give it all up. He's that desperate. I don't deserve to be called his son. I'll just, I'll just go and, and, and see if he'll hire me as a servant. And this repentance, this this, this change, this turn in behavior that the prodigal is, is experiencing, the Greek word met, metanoia, it actually means to change one's mind. Repentance is literally a change of mind and heart for the hatred of one's sin. We come to the place where we see the failures, we see the sin, we see the behaviors, we see the addictions, and we hate them. That's what real repentance looks like. Jim Cymbala says it well in his book, Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire. He says, the first step in any spiritual awakening is demolition. We cannot make headway in seeking God without first tearing down the accumulated junk in our souls. Rationalizing has to cease. We have to start seeing the sinful, sinful debris we hadn't noticed before which is what holds back the blessing of God. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit and quenches His power among us. See, we we live our lives carelessly and and carefree, and then we wonder why we struggle. We wonder why we face heartache. We wonder why we find ourselves depressed. Because we're chasing all the wrong things. Things that God never desired for our lives. Maybe one of the best illustrations of true biblical repentance was Saul in the Bible, who went from a religiously proud, legalistic persecutor's heart to that of a servant's heart, giving his life for other people. He goes from persecuting. Christians, literally holding the coats of people who were stoning Christians to literally laying his life down for those who he had persecuted. It's the most amazing picture of repentance. And his greatest desire was that as he gave his life, others might hear of Jesus' love and be given the opportunity to share in his repentance. 
See, true repentance is the willingness to say, I'm going in the wrong direction. And then the courage to turn around and to begin to pursue God. So we navigate this journey from criminal to prodigal and eventually we come to this place of being called God's chosen. And this is the return journey home to restoration. See, the beauty of God's love exists in the fact that there is no one who is outside His love. God literally waits with open arms ready to receive any of His children who want to come home. Well, if you haven't figured it out yet, we serve a loving God. A God who loves us so much that He welcomes us back. And this repentance that we've talked about, it has to compel us to that action of, of returning home, of, of, of turning away from the stuff that's taken us from the presence of our loving Father. See, repentance without action is nothing more than a shift in thought or belief. Real repentance means revising our judgment of our actions and changing our plans of living. Luke 15, 18 says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. See, it's not enough to simply know what we should do in life. We have to be willing to step up and step out. There was a season of, of, of life for me when I was on the verge of losing my wife and my kids and my family and my ministry, and I had to make a decision to surrender everything to God and still be willing to serve Him. And then I had to begin the work of allowing God to reestablish the right things in my life and heart. This cleansed life of surrender to the inner work of the Spirit of God will manifest itself in conscience, conscious repentance, which leads to an unconscious desire to follow Jesus' example of living. The path to God's loving restoration only necessitates that we take the first step. When we take a step towards God's plan, His loving heart cannot help but run the rest of the way. This is depicted well by the final act of the Father in response to the arrival of his wayward son. Luke 15, 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, Facebook and social media is full of so many things that 
probably don't need our time. But occasionally we come across those videos showing soldiers coming home from overseas to surprise their family. I don't know about you, but <laughs> they just grab me. And chances are, if you've come across one of these videos, it grabs hold of you. And you get sucked in. And eventually, somewhere along the line, somebody starts peeling an onion and your eyes begin to start sweating. See, there's something about someone returning victorious from war and the uncontrolled emotion of, of, of family members as they're overjoyed and surprised. The joy is contagious. And on Easter Sunday, we come to this place where we can imagine, imagine Jesus returning from war. He's alive. He's victorious. He's defeated sin and death, and he surprises his family. The joy is contagious. We celebrate the resurrection thousands of years later, and the joy is still hitting us. See, if we can come to the place of understanding the deep, and unchanging love of our Father God, we will understand He never stops waiting for us. He never stops searching for us. He never stops loving us. He never stops pursuing us. And He believes that we'll come home. He never stops believing. Max Lucado said, if there are a thousand steps between us and God, He will take all but one. He will leave the final one for us. The choice is ours. This morning, God is calling each and every one of us home. His promise to Jacob in Genesis 28:15 rings true for us today. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. When we come to the end of our wanderings in life, the greatest gift is to be welcomed back into the perfect will of God. Would you stand to your feet as we close this morning? Father, we love you. We're so grateful that you love us so much that you were willing to send your son, that he would die on a cross to be raised from the dead, to conquer death and the grave forever. Friends, as we encounter and experience God's unchanging, unending, unconditional love this morning. We can truly receive the promise only found in the perfect Father when He says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. No matter where you find yourself today, criminal, or prodigal, or somewhere else. Your loving Father is calling you home, saying, let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. God, we thank you for welcoming us home. We thank you that no matter where we are, nowhere, no matter where we've been, no matter how far we've run from your presence, you welcome us home. You desire relationship with your children. You call us your chosen. We don't deserve it. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. But you love us anyways. 
God, we thank you. We thank you that you love us that much. That while we were dead in our sin, you sent Christ to die. That we might be made alive again. Lost and now found. God, we worship you, God. We thank you. Perhaps this morning you will find yourself in this place tuning in online wherever you are. And you say, I don't know what it means to be called chosen. I don't know what it means to really embrace relationship. I've chased too many things in life. I've been the criminal. I've been the prodigal. I've been everywhere else. I want to know what it means to be called God's chosen. This morning, we want to give you the opportunity to step into that place, to step into that relationship with Jesus where all is forgiven, where life is restored, and where we find our purpose, our true, perfect purpose. And if that's you this morning, we don't want you to feel like you're alone. Every one of us has made the decision at, at some point to turn away from the old life and to pursue God's plan and purpose. And so if your desire is to make that decision to follow Jesus with your whole heart, we want to make that decision with you today. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll receive the gift of salvation. You'll be restored to right standing with the perfect Father. If that's you this morning, we don't want you to lift your hand. We don't want you to charge the stage. We would ask you just to say a simple prayer with us. And we believe if you confess with your mouth your need of a Savior and you believe in your heart that God loves you, that you'll be saved this morning. So church, family, in this community of faith, can we say this prayer together with those who are making the decision to follow Jesus today? Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was resurrected so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today, come into my heart to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is a celebration, friends. It is an incredible day to know that there's hope. That through the shed blood of our Savior, through his resurrection, that we have life. And so as we go out of this place today, you are no longer a criminal. You are no longer a prodigal. You are God's chosen. And his greatest desire is to show the hope that you found in him to others, to your family, to your friends, to your community, to your classmates, whoever you come in contact with. So as we go out of this place, God bless you on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday. We hope you have some amazing meals in store and uh, that you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Enjoy the sunshine. If you don't have a church home, uh, we would love to have you here at Neighborhood Church. But if you're just visiting, uh, we just want to say thank you for coming and being a part of the service today. As we go out of this place, there's something that we say every week. 
And it's our challenge to ourselves to be those that would step into our community to make a difference with the hope of God. So as you go out of this place, let's make the commitment and the decision today to be the neighborhood. God bless you. Have a wonderful Easter Sunday.